Peoples, what's up? It's your boys. We back once again. Silverback Chronicles podcast. It's your boy, Big H. I got my brother, Dre. Yo. What's up, my brother? I love you. What's good? Love you more, bro. I love everybody. Word. Triple C. Yo. What's good, baby? <clears throat> Maintain and chilling, bro. All day, every day. Listen, folks, I hope everybody is doing well. Had a phenomenal weekend. Stay safe. Listen, we back. Episode 99, by the way. Yeah, 99. Listen. <clears throat> Yeah. Shit, this is about to get real. It's, it's, yeah, please. No more used to tell them, go grab your, go grab your drink. Grab your church socks, your camp socks. Yeah. Get, tuck, get tuck, that, get that bourbon in your hand. Tuck that, tuck your sweats into the socks. Right. Listen, if the kids are still up running around, put them to bed. Yeah, cause you're about to get some shit. What's up to sleep? Listen, what's about to go down in less than two minutes? You don't want to miss none of it. Hey, hey, yo, if you're listening to this on like the morning drive, you're going to be late. You're going to be late to work. You're going to be late. And, and it's going to be worth it. If your boss says something like, yo, fuck you. You didn't hear what I just heard. <laughs> him on. Why? Right. Now, yeah, now, why? now, yeah, listen to what the fuck I'm listening to. It's about to be real crazy. This is what he's like. Why? And he's going to say, oh, shit. Listen, the one we got for you tonight is, listen, I'm just going to keep it brief with it. Real quick to our sponsors. Yes, let's, let's just do it. All right. Let me give a quick shout out, Berman and Darby. You already know the law firm, my brother Charlie Schultz. You can reach him at 410-769-5400. That's 410-769-5400. Give a quick shout out to Stopbox USA. Don't forget the discount code, all caps, Silverback Podcast, gets you 20% off. All right? Everybody, we love you. We appreciate you. This is episode 99. I'm getting right into it. There's no fucking around tonight. Listen, the gentleman we have here tonight. He embodies police work. Everything that I know, that Dre knows, is crazy. When I got to the Northeast, he took me out. At the time, he was a major. I was all I was walking foot. He took me out in the car with him. Wait, wait, wait. You're walking foot. I'm walking foot. So that's you brand new. I'm brand spanking new. He didn't know you. Yeah. <sighs> knew we was from New York. I was on um I was on the, the Frank Frankfurt apartments over there at top there used to be sector three, now it's sector four. Walking foot. He came, scooped me up, said, yo, come, come, come to the car. Took me around the northeast, took me to all the spots, and just chopped it up with me. And he was our major man. That's the first time I met this man, and he treated wow. me like like I was like I was one of his. And mm. I love him for that. Ever since then, he's always been the same man. The same day I met him, 
He's never changed. He went all the way through the ranks of the department and he was our commissioner. And he's still our commissioner to this day. He's the people's commissioner. Wonder why he's the people's commissioner? Because everybody respected him. Everybody loved the work he did. He knew how to took he knew how to take care of police because he went through the ranks. He takes care of his people. He let the gorillas out when it was time to do gorilla work and didn't care, didn't give two shits about it because he's a real one. He knows this police shit, this police work ain't easy. It ain't easy at all. A lot of people think it's easy. It's far from easy. He made people want to come to work. Mm. He made police work as a family. How about how about those parties? Right. You know what I'm saying? Through parties. Shift parties. Christmas party. Everything. Christmas party was like, yo, you been to the Northeast Christmas party? What? They'd be like, you eat coke? Listen. You <laughs> yo, he made sure for Adam shift, which is which is the, the overnight shift, they have food. Baker shift, the morning shift, he made sure they had food when they came in for roll call. Charlie shift, the evening shift when they came in, he made sure everybody night had a nice hot plate of food. He made police work so much fun. He made it a family oriented. That's why things are not the same. But with no further ado, our former commissioner, Daryl DeSouza, ladies and gentlemen. Oh man, you got me, you got me uh, watery eyed over here, Big Amazing. Gordon. Yeah, watery eyed man. Yo, I love you like it. that. Real shit. Different uh, level. I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate you. And I remember I'm, I'm have you both of y'all. Is, I'm honored to be here. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you guys. And looking at y'all, I think I'm looking at my own son. Wow. Wow. That's how I uh, see policing. That's how I see young men. Uh, that's how I see community. And mm. even even the, the young men and the young ladies in the community, they were always family. And I think uh, that's the key. That's the key to successful policing. Uh, you treat people like they're your own family. So it has to start internally. It has to start within within the police department. And oh. that's, that's the posture that I took. Absolutely. And I never told you this, Big H. I never told you this, but when you had academy class that was getting ready to graduate, I would always call the academy commander. And I would always say, who's, who's on, you know, who's top 10, <laughs> who's top 10, right. you know? And I remember they said, this guy right here, Horton, you know, Horton, Horton knows what's up. Wow. So I said, Damn. well, I want him in the Northeast. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I'm proud of you. I'm proud of both of you guys. Wow. I remember how you guys, uh, you know, back then, you know, how you policed. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just really, truly proud of the accomplish accomplishments that you guys have done over the years, because listen to some of your work and hearing your uh, previous podcast, y'all said something that made the hearer stand up on my back where y'all said bridging the gap, you know, and how do you bridge the gap? And I think that uh, y'all, y'all get it. You understand. Yes, sir. You know? Right, it, made, it, it made everything. I, I appreciate everything that you've done to me and that you continue to do for me. And we don't even have to be together every day, but whenever we see each other, it's always family. It's love, always man. love. Hell yeah. I don't care what, what any of us been through. That, that shows the true value of a man. If you can go through something and still see you like nothing ever happened, it's nothing. Yeah. More importantly, I want to know if you good. 
I'm good, man. I'm 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 100 good. I'm always praying and thinking about you guys. You know, I, I obviously thought about you guys when I was still a member of the police department, and when I had my darkest hours and went away, I spent many a nights thinking about you guys and just hoping you guys would be just great and fine. And now that I'm home, I'm glad you guys are great. And I remember Dre seeing you. And the cleaners, you were dropping your stuff off at the yeah. uh, one, of, one of our favorite cleaners. <laughs> and when you left, I told the cleaners, I'm not sure if you've been back yet, but I, I told the cleaners uh, his his next visits, his next five visits, I want to pay his bill to get his uniforms clean. Wow. So I don't know if you've been back there yet. You know? <sighs> yeah. yeah. So your next five trips. <sighs> Just your uniforms now, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! Nah, that's yeah. awesome! Yeah. Wow! So I mean, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I remember that day, and I was like, "Oh man!" Yeah, I was, I was like, "Fuck!" I wish he was back. Yeah. Now well, listen, back in office, you know. Right, y'all, y'all have a you know we, and I say we because it's still in my heart. I still bleed blue. Absolutely. Have the hardest job probably in the world, and you know, policing doesn't get the respect that it needs, and folks don't know what y'all go through on a daily basis. And what y'all go through is so challenging. And I'm just honored that y'all are, you know, you have a smile on your face and you're standing tall. You're standing in, in, in belief and, and you still want to do the job with passion. And it's difficult to do that because some of the things you see on a regular basis. And I um, had the opportunity when I was away at the federal institution, uh, I taught a class and I taught a class there. And we talked about de-escalation and coping mechanisms, and we talked about trauma. And one of the first things I talked about was what police officers see on a daily basis. And I explained to this one uh, young man that um, I said to him, you know, imagine you going to work, you know, eight o'clock in the morning and working, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours or going to work four o'clock in the afternoon and working, you know, the two in the morning. And you come across a missing person, you know, some mom or dad can't find their daughter. And then you come across a robbery. Then you cross uh, a call for service where, you know, somebody's mom or dad um, left the house because they have dementia or Alzheimer's, which my, which my mom, you know, suffered from before she passed in 2016. And then you go to a crime scene where someone is unfortunately lying on the streets and, you know, a victim of a gunshot wound. And you see the mom, the dad, the father, the son, the daughter, the grandmom running to them and, and you holding them and embracing them and telling them that it's going to be OK. Then you go to a house fire. And I was telling my, you know, the guys at the institution that in Baltimore City, this is something that y'all go through on a shift. On right. an eight, nine hour shift. I'm not talking about a week right. or a month or even three months. Y'all go through this on a shift and eventually it's going to take a toll on you. I'm not a health profession, but I can just speak from experience. It is going to take a toll on you. And it's called secondary trauma. Mm. And it's all the things that you see on a regular basis every day. So that example I gave you, how many times have you seen it, Dre? How many times have you gone to those similar calls where your activity sheet is filled up on the front and back 
And at the end of the day, you, you know, you go home and you're so stressed from what you saw and you, you compartmentalize it, you keep it in. And then you're off the next day. And what's the two things that you do? You go to the gym or you hook up with your, with your guys and you have a drink. 100%. 100%. And Absolutely. How does how does that help? <laughs> right. How, how does that help? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's young men and young women in um, on the streets of Baltimore in the community that also experiences secondary trauma as well, and they see it. You know, they see it. They look out their window as a young kid, and they see the yellow tape. They look out their window, and they see the police officer chasing someone. They look out their window and they see somebody shot. They look out their window. And they see a guy, you know, selling, you know, X, Y, or Z. And they see all these things as a, at a young age and they experience the same trauma. So the trauma that you experience and the trauma that they experience, eventually it's going to come to a boil. And I think that is uh, a catastrophe. That's like two trains running into each other and nobody wants to talk about that. I don't close it's a head-on collision, right. you know? So there's things that need to be put in place. You know, we can talk about all these issues, but there's things that need to be put in place. I mean, you you all should have some type of mental health evaluation, <clears throat> not six months or not after a police shooting or not after something extremely tragic. You all should have it really at the end of every single shift. Mm. And I will go as far as saying, Maybe halfway through your shift, you come off the streets and you have a conversation with a professional. And how are you doing? You right. know, how do you feel? What did you just experience? That's missing in police work. Absolutely. And we, you know, we can talk about all, you know, the consent degree. We can talk about um, the escalation. We can talk about um, defunding the police. But that's one thing that's missing. At the end of the day, you're you're human, and the person that you confront is human. And like you said, Dre, it's a head-on collision and it has to be addressed before it happens. Hmm. Proactive. Wow. That, I mean, that's huge because a lot of us aren't, you know, living after we retire, not even a year after we retire. And that's just sad. And I agree. There needs to be more health evaluations. <clears throat> there needs to be more proactive, you know, getting to know your offices, you know, making sure they're okay. You know, prior, prior to the shift. How, how's everything going? You feeling all right today? You know, because that, it, it's paramount to policing. And it's just unfortunate, you know, time after time, you know, doing 20 years of this, what the city's got to offer you, a lot of officers, it's just unfortunate that they're just not living. And that's crazy to me. That's absolutely insane. But they have a pro, what's the program they have now? It's uh, the crisis intervention. Crisis, uh, yeah, intervention. We, the health, health and wellness. Health has, and wellness. Also, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think like if you go through something traumatic now, you they take you off the street and you talk to like whoever that rep is in that district. Yeah. So they implemented that. But here's the big question, right? Like, how many of us are gonna use it? Yeah. Cause you know we don't like to talk. Yeah. yeah. Rather than just keep it also, yeah. Well well, Dre, it shouldn't be when you go through something. Right. It it really should okay. be at the end of a shift or just like every a mental two or three check-in. Days. It should be. Yeah, it's Why not? Of, yeah, instead of a run sheet, like, hey, sit down for like five minutes, right? Yeah, the community, the community, uh, they expect a lot from us. And um, one thing that they should expect is that, you know, our wellness is is up to par and we're not working 
you know, a 10 hour shift and then getting drafted to work another four hours. People don't even realize that. People right. don't even realize that. And I, 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 this is the part of policing I hated was this whole drafting thing. And I was just, it just, I couldn't sleep at night when I knew that y'all or, you know, some other officers on the streets worked their 10 hour, eight, 10 hour shift. And then when they thought they would get off and they thought they would go home, they got drafted for another four hours. Yeah. So no one even talks about f- the fatigue level. Yep. And then got to be back to work. And then got to be back to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, imagine doing, you know, after that draft, you get into a shooting. That's right. Yeah. How is your skill supposed well, to? Well, that's, that's, I, I remember reading a article. I remember doing some research when I um, had the privilege to do a fellowship. And I read a, uh, some research work that was done about fatigue in policing. Mm. And long story short is that uh, once when fatigue sets in, and they did a study, when fatigue sets in and it was certain levels of it, but when fatigue sets in, uh, there's a likelihood of you making a administrative error or a operational error. So if you think about that, administrative error, you know, we probably could live with that, but nowadays it's, it's even tough. You don't, you want to make sure your report is 100% accurate, but the operational error is even more challenging because you don't want to have to go in somebody's house and make a mistake. Life or death. Yeah. Life or death. You know what I mean? You, you know, people don't realize that policing goes, police officers go to homes and have to make a decision almost immediately. So you take that secondary trauma, everything that you saw, you go into a house for whatever the call for service may be. And you have a split second to make a decision, but yet, but yet on the other hand, where you have um, men and women who go through crisis and see therapists. And what's the first thing a therapist is going to say? If you're feeling a certain way, anxiety or whatever the case may be, they're going to say, well, take a breath, count to three. Y'all don't have that opportunity to count to three. Absolutely not. You can't count to three. You can't. And these are some of the things that people don't talk about that that's an issue and a challenge with police officers, not just in Baltimore, but just all over yeah. the country. How, how about that example? How about the the many officers, right, that we all know make the right decision all day, right? And because of fatigue, he falls asleep on the wheel on the way home. Yeah. Mm. Could you, like, I made it through all this. And because I've been tired, fatigue, like you said, this is what gets me. Well, I, I've seen it. I've, know, I've seen it at, at the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. I've seen it at the Northeast. And it, it's tragic because, again, people do not know that. These are like the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like these are like when it's danger, like, and you mm-hmm. escape it. Um, you know, you, you're basically making decisions all day, right? For, Correct. Like, in these situations. And you did them all correct. And you're finally off. And because of the fatigue. You're too relaxed driving home. Yeah. So it's like yeah. we we can't escape it. Yeah, it's, it's something's gonna grab us, and we just have to like keep. That's what we do all day. And I've I've, I've been in positions where where an office I've seen it. I've seen those cases before where an officer wrecked their car, and the first thing is that you hear bosses above you charge him, charge him. Was he drinking? Why, why did he wreck the car? Well, hold on a minute. Let's go back and find out how many hours he worked first. Yeah, let's let's investigate a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right. let's investigate. Let's let's take exactly. a look at his run sheet. How about that? I'm glad you said has, that. Has anyone said that? Take a look at his run sheet. Right. And and I know y'all, and I know 
people don't understand a run sheet, you know, has, you know, 12 or 13 entries on the first side and the back side is, you know, Absolutely. another 15 or 16. <laughs> I know y'all, because I used to watch y'all run sheets. Fill, y'all would fill it up. you filled up both sides, you was busy. Yeah. If you filled up both sides, your run sheet, you were busy. You know what I mean? And that's what y'all did. And that's what a lot of men and women in the police department did. It was very rare that you would see a run sheet with two or three entries. I mean, if it had two or three entries, that means they were on some type of detail. Or in the north. Hospital detail. No, or, yeah. Yeah, 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 for, yeah, on the northern. <laughs> shout out to the northern. I love or you shout guys. out to the northern. <laughs> oh, man. I almost fell out the chair. Yeah, on that one, Dre. Going on, man. <laughs> I love that. Oh, yeah. 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 All right, so, 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 so yeah. for the people that don't know, uh, where you from, born and raised? How about we let the world know now? Come on now. New York all day? Jamaica, Queens. <laughs> Jamaica, Queens, yeah. So what was life like growing up in New York? And what made the transition down to Baltimore? So um, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. And um, the most challenging part was when I was a young man, a young child, I got bused to a school when I was, uh, let's see, um, 11 or 12 years old. Mm because uh, um, the school district closed down the private school where I was going, right there in Jamaica, Queens, right on, it's called New York Boulevard. It's Guy Brewer, Guy Brewer now. Oh, wow. And um, I got bused to a school to a community uh, that didn't care for people that looked like me or looked like us. Mm. And that was a challenge every day. It was a challenge every day because I wanted, I was that type of guy at a young age that I wanted to make sure my brothers and sisters got to the bus and got on the bus. Okay. You know, we were chased, um, by folks that didn't look like me with bats and chains and, um, running to the bus stop and getting on the bus and, you know, getting the bus window destroyed and just barely making it home. So it was a challenge. And I, I said to myself, you know, at 11 and 12 years old, Man, I wish I was a police officer. I wish there was a police officer on a corner that could see it. Right. See, you know, what I'm going through or what we're going through. Mm. So that was instilled in me for a long period of time. So I uh, went to a great high school in, in uh, Long Island City in Astoria and left there and uh, traveled to um, Baltimore and went to school at Morgan State University. Nice. Oh. And since then, you know, I've, I've been right here. Yeah. I've been right here. Two wonderful kids. You know, my son Daniel is 31, 32. And what? My, my, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, my daughter is uh, 23 and she's a, a, a new mom. So I'm a grandfather. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, little, little Kennedy. So uh, yeah. I appreciate it. Wow. I appreciate it. I would have never thought that. Yeah. I would have thought you, both of your kids were in their 20s. Oh, man. Thank you. Yeah, so just once. Awesome. Yeah, just one. Yeah. So, wow. I got. I, by the way, if I'm thinking about the same neighborhood in Queens, I don't want to blast the neighborhood that you, you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I got chased out of that neighborhood by people that don't look like us. Right? <laughs> oh wow! But oh, you know what? Yeah, I know my last name, right? Mm-hmm. Have the people in that community have a last name like me from that origin? Got chased out of there with bats and all that. Well, I know what you're gonna say. You want me to say it? Is it okay to say it? Well, you can say whatever you want. (laughs) Well, people are going to automatically think, number one, back then in the 70s, they're going to think, number one, it probably was um, Howard Beach. But but what was the adjoining community? It was Rosedale. It was Rosedale, New York. And if anybody Googles, Googles Rosedale in the 70s, I'm not saying this. Just go ahead and Google it. 
Right. And you'll see um, what I went through. And I'm not making this up. No, it's real stuff. But Google Rosedale, Queens, 70s. And you'll see what I'm talking about. These pockets. You'll see it. You'll see it yourself. And it's like, enough said. what is going on here? Yeah. It's crazy. And that's, that's, that was my experience at an early age. Because they had like our skin color. How about that? Yeah. yeah I mean, was, they were from, you know. Yeah. yeah. It was a challenge. <laughs> For know. me, it was uh, Howard Beach. And it was in the yeah. 2000s. Oh, wow. Wow. I got on that 11 bus. Three dudes with bats, you know, all juiced up, rolling yeah. out. Yeah. What the fuck? I'm like, pew. Yeah. 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 I, I I know when to run. Yeah. Sometimes you got to run. Yeah. That was the day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's crazy that it's the same community. Yeah. Wow. A joining community. Change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's still like that. Which- I think it's changed drastically. Good. I think it's changed drastically Good. because I had the occasion to go there um, in 2016. Actually, it was, a, it was actually a diner. Uh, I think it was Rockaway Boulevard. I, I, I could be could be wrong, but when my mother passed, we had a repass for her and it was at a diner. And um, it was just completely different. I mean, wow. okay. people that did not look like me was very welcoming and it was just really that atmosphere that I was like, I was so relieved to know that things have changed, you know, um, at least there, right. you know, at least there. So why Baltimore City for you? You know, I, I, I tell the story that I went to the War Memorial Plaza mm. outside of City Hall, okay. the War Memorial Building, and there was a recruitment drive. And it was Baltimore City, Baltimore County, and Maryland State Police. And for some reason, I, I, I just went to Maryland State Police first. I guess that was first in line. And I asked the, the recruiter, I said, can you tell me a little bit about the academy? How long it's going to be? Well, it's 26 weeks. I said, do I go home every day or <laughs> do I have to stay on right. campus or something? And it was like, no, you stay. Weekends, we may let you go home. And me having some crazy college roommates, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to go through all that again. So Baltimore City was next. And I said to the recruiter, um, "Do you ha- same question. Do you have to stay on campus or do you go home? And he looked at me like I had three eyes. <laughs> he said, nah, man, you go home. Right. You get up out of here. So I said, give me application. Nice. Yeah, give me application. Yeah. So how, how was police, the initial police work like for you being a regular officer? What was that experience like? I loved yeah. it. Like what year you got on? So I was in Academy in 88. And uh, by the time I graduated and was on the streets full fledged, it was early 89. And uh, I, I truly loved it. And you know, my first call for service, and y'all could probably relate to this a little bit being New Yorkers as well. But I remember going to a call for service in 1800 block of Chester Street. And it was an elderly woman who I just fell in love with. She was just, she was just like mom, you know, and we were sitting there having a conversation. I really don't remember if it was, uh, what kind of specifically what the call was for, but I was trying to figure out what that smell was. And I kept looking at the sink and I kept I was trying to pay attention to her and I was looking at the sink, pay attention to her, look at the sink. I couldn't figure it out. I said, ma'am, I said, I am so sorry. I said, please forgive me for my ignorance. I said, what in the world are you cleaning (laughs) in the sink? It smelled kind of funny. She said, young man, she said, that's chitlins. Mm. And I said, wow. I said, what is a chitlin? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Listen, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. Y'all right. know. We, right. all, yeah. we didn't know about Chipman's We don't do all <laughs> at all. Yeah, that's a little bit too much. Yeah, so I was introduced. She she invited me back, you know, a little bit later on when it was cooked and I tried it. And, you know, what? she put a lot of hot sauce on there. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is different, you know. Right. But, I mean, it, I, I loved it. I love, I just love getting out of the patrol car, going to people's homes and just talking. I was just... I would talk, I would talk, I would talk just to people. And uh, like I said, I just looked at people as though they were my mom or my dad or my my brother or sister or somebody, some family member. And I, I that's just the way I carried it since, since you know, early 89. Wow, that's awesome. And you was on patrol, patrol for how long? What made you want to become a, a sergeant? What made you want to go through the ranks? I didn't, I didn't. I think it was 1990. Uh, so we had a commissioner at the time that believed in a rotation policy that you spent three, I think it was three years or two or three years in a specialized unit. Then you have to go to patrol, spend time in patrol, and then go back to a specialized unit if that's what you wished. And at the time, I worked in uh, drug enforcement downtown, and there was a rotation policy with the commissioner. And I volunteered because I wanted to go back to patrol because I wanted to get promoted. And I think that was uh, sometime in 99 or 98 or 99. And I went back to patrol and I spent some time in the Northwest District. I loved it. One of my favorite districts. And I said, you know what? I just want to be a supervisor. I want to be a sergeant. I had a sergeant when I was in the Eastern District, Mike Harding, who I had so much respect and admiration for and I said, I want to be just like he is. You know, I just, you know, he he made a lasting impression. So did my lieutenant, Lieutenant Owen Sweeney, who died in the line of duty um, years after that. I think it was 1997. But I wanted to be a supervisor, and that's all I wanted to be was a sergeant. And I took the test, and you know, I was I was successful, you know, um, with the results of the test, and I ended up being a sergeant, uh, getting promoted, and going right to the Northeast District. And going right to DDU. Wow. So that's when it started. And then I said to myself, you know, I just want to keep going. You know, I want to keep going and keep going and keep going. And I put my mind to it. And uh, with the blessings of God, you know, you know, he had me, you know, take these positions, you know. That's awesome. He ordained them for me. Yeah. Absolutely. And majority of them was in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Northeast. That's awesome. So yeah, and then that's right. with that being said, you ended up obviously making it to number one like can you please just tell me because I, I love leadership like what nuggets did you take or like how was your your leadership style you know what i mean like you wasn't you, yeah. well i i spent a lot of time i love the uniform i i of course i like investigations as well but i spent 90 percent of my 30 years in uniform and i always felt that the community needed us and i always felt that um I kind of took offense to the bad guy, you know, trying to win. And I said, no, we can do better. You know, we got to serve the community better. So I always took this operational posture, you know, in my mind. You know, I, I grew up playing uh, chess and I've been an avid chess player my entire life. And I said, I, no one, you know, some guy or whomever, some person is, you know, trying to commit crime and outwit or outfox the community or the police, I said, I, I think I can outwit them. So I really spent a lot of time thinking of operational things that were outside of the box that we can do to help and to lower, you know, the crime. 
So I had that operational posture and I maintained that op- operational posture throughout my entire career. And I said to myself, if I ever make commissioner, you know, I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to keep that operational posture, just keep moving and just, you know, there's bad folks in Baltimore, you know, there's bad folks, you know, and it's not fair, small percentage, you know, small percentage. I think there's studies that say there's only, you know, three to 5% of a population that does the majority of crime. You know, um, I do on the other hand know that Baltimore is a great place and they're the greatest folks, greatest community people I've met in my entire life, but it's not fair to them for them to be victimized. So I kept that operational posture. How do you feel about hands-on policing? When you say hands-on, what do you mean? Like uh, just actively going out? You have to. Like proactive. Because yeah. I'm curious because, you know, just to paint the picture for the world, everybody thinks it's, it's you put that gun down right now and they'll give it to us. That's how you stop. Like, how do you feel about the approach now as towards of, you know, actively going out and getting these bad guys? Well, again, so you have to. But here's the difference. You can't go out there and um, cast this giant net and say everybody in the community are bad people because we all know that's not true. Absolutely. But we do know that there are what's called violent repeat offenders. And they get that name because they're violent repeat defenders. Because they repeat committing <laughs> <laughs> crimes. Exactly. Exactly. And those are the folks that need to be addressed. You know, if they have an open warrant, if you know the areas where they are, if you know they carry guns, um, those are the folks that you need to pay attention to. You don't need to pay attention to mom or dad or this young man getting off a school bus. Right. You know, it's it's the bad ones. It's, it's the violent repeat offenders. It's the ones that you have to go after. Nice. Bottom line. Period. 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 I love it. <clears throat> and I, so at this day and age, right? I just have to ask because we're talking about that. So the, the guys, the detectives that go after these violent repeat offenders, you know how sometimes in a fight or something like that happens. Like, what is your opinion on like the charge heavy departments that are going on across the country? Well, for every little thing, it's like, oh, fire them, fire them all. Like, you, do you see that? I, I can, let me say this. Um, people don't realize this. Let me say it this way. You know, you have to use your police training and you have to make sure training is appropriate and you have to make sure that the level of use of force is appropriate that what you are being confronted with. You can't go beyond that. Right. That's, that's the bottom line. You can't, you can't, you cannot. But on the same token, if, someone refused to be arrested, be arrested and someone refuses to put their hands behind their back. Um, it's almost impossible. Horton, how much do you weigh? Um, yeah, I'm about two, 255. Okay. Well, no, I'm like 275 now. 275. Okay. Yeah. If, and, and I'm 187, 188. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you were trying to arrest me and I refuse to allow you to arrest me and you wrestle me to the ground, you would not be able to get the handcuffs on me. Mm-hmm. It, people don't realize that. One of the hardest things is trying to get handcuffs on I'm someone. Yeah. Now, uh, granted, granted, you know, there, you know, we've seen it in media play out. We've seen it across the country uh, where things are done inappropriately, um, bad arrests, you know, they're, they're far and few in between. But if it's a good arrest and you have probable cause to arrest somebody, 
And that person does not want to go to jail and lays down and puts his hands under his chest. It's almost impossible to get their arms. I am not advocating at all uh, what we saw in Minnesota because that was just completely egregious. Absolutely. That was was wrong. That was murder to put your knee. We we don't, you know, we don't teach that. You know, you don't, you don't get that. You know, there's no way in the world that, you know, you should um, put your weight on somebody's neck like that. But it's, it's a tough job. You know, it's a tough job. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we said that on the show a long time ago. Like that was too much force. Yeah. And I would encourage that the, you know, folks listening or community just at large, really just, uh, um, police departments have citizens academies and, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they shoot, don't shoot type scenarios. I mean, I did it when, uh, I was doing a fellowship down in Virginia where we took a group of Howard university students to, a a simulator and, you know, we asked them, you know, we, they were presented with different scenarios and, you know, it was tough for them. I mean, there were some students there that, you know, didn't handle it well. There were some students there that just, you know, like, wow, how in the world do you do it? Right. Mm -hmm. How in the world do you do it? You know, so it's tough. It is tough. It's tough. But we love what we do. We have fun with it. And, uh, you know, that's the biggest thing is letting them, you know, then the world know that you know we do this, and you know we 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 love and we enjoy what we do. It's tough, but we got the right temperament for it. And yeah, that's why we brought this to the platform, you know. And it don't get no better than what you have to bring to the table because it's simply amazing. Like you don't get this on a regular basis at all, and just your body of work displays that, and it's it's paramount. It's paramount to policing. Like it's like the community is everything. You know, they need us like we need them. And mm-hmm. it's, it's vital to our success as a, as a police department to get out there and actually know them, get them, get familiar with them mm-hmm. and build, and build that relationship, that rapport. Cause they'll be there for you, man. Absolutely. And, uh, I think that'll go a long way in, you know, changing this thing around the hierarchy of policing. Absolutely. You know, um, I think that in policing at, you know, years ago, um, you know, we looked at folks, um, particularly that had um, drug misuse. I don't want to say drug addiction, but they misuse drugs. And we looked at them a certain way. And we looked at it in terms of criminalizing their behavior versus making it a health issue. And I think in retrospect, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, when they start talking about the war on drugs, I think we missed the mark. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, if it was a war on drugs, we lost, Right. you know, Long we, time, we right. lost some of the greatest people misuse. Um, and you just don't know why they misuse. They could have had some type of challenge in their life. You know, they could have had some type of um, storm that they were going through and they had no other outlet and they forced them to do what they had to do, you know, use whatever they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I always think and talk about a story where there was a young lady and you guys weren't in Baltimore then. You guys probably were still in elementary school. <laughs> at least. <laughs> right. Are you familiar with Church Home Hospital? No. no. Okay. That's my point. Gotcha. So, <laughs> <laughs> Broway and Fayette, it was a hospital. They're called Church Home Hospital. 
And I think it wasn't until 97 where we started, I think central booking opened up and you process things electronically. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, you had to handwrite probable cause statements. So there was a young lady that committed a crime. Um, you know, I took her to um, central booking at the time. They refused her because she was sick. You know how that goes. Yeah. So we went to church home hospital and we were waiting for a triage nurse to come and see her. And she sat next to me and I had the charging documents and I started writing these charging documents and she was right on my right shoulder. We were just talking and I was writing and she was looking at the work I was doing. And she says, um, officer Sosa, she says, um, you can't end a sentence in a preposition. I said, okay. And then she looked some more and she says, you need a comma there. And she said, oh, that's a run on sentence right there. Um, she says, you, um, you probably should put a transitional phrase in front of this sentence. Wow. And I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what is yeah. what? I almost okay. fell out, I what is going on right now? I almost now? fell out my chair. And I asked her, I said, ma'am, I said, um, no disrespect. I says, you are amazing. I said, you are phenomenal. I just learned so much in a few minutes with you than I learned probably in my lifetime right. in school. Absolutely. You know, and um, go back and talk to those teachers. Huh? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she said, um, she said to me, she says, well, you know, uh, I used to be an English teacher. Mm. Yeah. I used to be an English teacher. I said, yeah, I see. I said, you made all these corrections. You know, people get confused with oh. I before E and, you know, um, you know, even if I ask a person now, like, when do you use I before E? Right. And she says, oh, remember this? She says, I before E except after C. I said, okay, I did remember that in school. She says, well, remember this. She said, and this is back in the early 90s, and I still remember this. She said, either, neither, foreigner, sees weird heights. She said, remember that sentence? I said, what's the, sig what's the significance of that sentence? She says, well... That's when you use the E before I. And I went back and looked at those words and I said, oh, man. Yeah. Well, what so, are they again? Foreigner. <laughs> either, either, neither, foreigner sees weird heights. Either. Weird heights. Yeah. yeah, E before I. Huh? How about that? So wow, she was a fun teacher then. Yeah, she she I said. I was never told that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Wow. So I, I learned so much from her, and she said that you know her husband was involved in some illegal activities and the feds came and knocked on her door and arrested her husband. And she was so depressed. She went into the deepest depression you could ever imagine. And she said she had no one to talk to and she had no coping mechanisms. And she went to her girlfriend's house and she said, while she was at a girlfriend's house, her girlfriend said, Hey, try this. And this turned into something more and it turned into something more and it turned into larger scales that it got to the point where she started to misuse, you know, some of the drugs mm. and, um, it caused her to, you know, be at that point. And in the early nineties, I said to myself, man, we're missing a mark with this. You know, we are, we are definitely missing a mark. We have oh, yeah. to reevaluate how, you know, we look at community and how people misuse drugs. You know? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It could definitely happen. Yeah, absolutely. So how'd you how'd you feel being a commissioner? How was how was that experience? It was short. It was it was this, it was a short journey, um, but I loved it. 
I loved it because um, I thought I was able to influence a, a lot of the younger officers and kind of um, instill in them, you know, my philosophy about community first, you know, community policing first and how you treat other people. Um, on the other hand, I'm still saddened because there was so much more that I had to give. There was so much more that I, I wanted to implement uh, for Baltimore. And I think that it just would have went, you know, um, it would have served, it would have served the city well, you know, so it pains me um, to know that, um, you know, when I went to the federal institution, one of the toughest times of my life was, you know, May 13th, 2019. Mm. That was my self-surrender day. Was it? Yeah. So when, when you say self-surrender, you have to surrender yourself. You got it going. So my, my good friends, um, you know, my best friends, uh, took me and my loved ones took me to, um, Tashi took me to, um, drove me up to New Jersey with rain, cats and dogs. And, uh, my best friend, um, you know, rest his soul, Darren, Darren Sanders just recently passed away. My best friend yeah, just well, passed yeah, away, passed away so uh, yeah, yeah. about 10 days ago, um, drove up to, uh, New Jersey and took me to the facility. And it was, it was a dark, it was probably the darkest moment of my life, but mm. yet, but yet. I didn't meet the darkest people. You know, I met people that were just completely loyal. Um, men. So the world wants to know, how was that experience like for you? That yeah. dark time? Well, it was a dark place, but it wasn't dark people. Right. Um, and it was difficult. And, you know, one thing about lessons in life is that the greatest lesson I learned was uh, not to give up on me. So I would say, the greatest lessons for you or everybody that's listening is never give up on yourself. Mm. So I didn't want to give up on myself. I didn't want to be that ostrich that buried my head in the sand and say, well, 10 months ago real quick, I ain't doing Jack. You know, I want to take a different posture and I want to be like that Eagle and say, you know what? I'm going to soar above this challenge. I'm going to make the best. Mm. I want to see how I can help somebody else. And I, I, I started journaling and I said to myself, I want to walk. I want to, I want to walk a mile in, um, with somebody and hear their story and understand why people do certain things. So when you get to the institution, they give you these little slide on sneakers or shoes that are very uncomfortable. And there's not much you can do. I mean, you're, you, you get corns and bunions before you know it. So kind of like the protocol is that someone gives you, someone from your hometown gives you a pair of used sneakers. So I got a pair of used sneakers and those sneakers tell a story. So I didn't know who had the sneakers, but I know who gave me the sneakers, Mr. Lee, you know, my Jamaican friend from Brooklyn, mm. but he got them from somebody else. But these sneakers tell a story. And I said to myself, I got to walk a mile with someone to hear their story just to be a better person. Mm. So if I can be a better person, you know, I can go back and get to this day here with y'all and talk about these stories and talk about how we are really no different. You know, policing is no different to the young men and guys that are at an institution. Right. You know, we, we, we have the same blood. Absolutely. Right. Bleed the same way, you know, made up the same way, but we had challenges in our life. You know, we got to a, a, a fork in the road that you or I would normally go to the right and 
because of the situations in front of them, they went to the left. We right. can't judge them because we weren't in their shoes. Absolutely. You know, so you can never judge somebody and judge someone until you literally walk them out in their shoes. Mm. So that's what I did. I, I walked with many, many guys and heard many uh, amazing stories. And if there was a common denominator of all these stories is probably, um, you know, fatherhood. And a lot of guys talked about their fathers were not in their lives. You know, a father who were in their lives wasn't around for them. Um, and I, I, I thought about um, myself, you know, when they were telling me these stories. And uh, you know, I was fortunate to have my dad with me, you know, and my mom with me. And I thought about, you know, my 30 years on the job and how, although I love my son, my, my, you know, I think till this day I could have done a better job being a father to him and my daughter because I missed. And if there's one piece of advice I give you and all the other officers is that, you know, make sure you spend time with your, your kids. It, it means the world to them and you won't see it. You may not see it right then and there, but they'll appreciate it, you know, when they get older. And one mistake I honestly can say to this day is that I wish I could have been there more for my kids. I'm, I remember missing so many birthdays because of work. I remember missing so many um, events or uh, ball games that uh, my daughter or my son may have had or some after school or some PTA or dad, let's just hang out. Uh, um, Hallie, I'm sorry. Daniel, I'm sorry. I got to go to work. Families is, is more important. So this was a common denominator of, of men, you know, where I was. And if they're saying it and I'm saying it, we have to do a better job being fathers to, wow. our, to our kids. Wow. You know, it's bottom line, you know. <clears throat> you touch on so many points there. You ever, you ever, um, you ever heard of Marcus Aurelius? Yes. He was a former, you know, yes. Roman, uh, not Roman, Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He created that philosophy called Stoic. Oh, wow. Right. Put it like this, um, gladiator. Mm -hmm. See how like he was the commissioner. He was, he was the emperor mm -hmm. and whatever happened, boom, he's in jail. Mm. He put him in jail. Right. And what did he do? With those fellow, you know, people from jail, they had that one common denominator, you know, kind of like what you just said, mm -hmm. which is just so crazy. And look what happened. He ended up leading them because he was like kind of like their people's like gladiator, the champion. Yeah, that's right. It's crazy. Yeah. Well. Actually, from the book, um, Marcus, Marcus Aurelius, the real emperor, like he wrote a book called Meditations. Mm. And in one of them, you know, same thing happened to him. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what Gladiator is based about. He's in jail. And instead of, you know, like moping around or whatever, he believed in himself, started journaling, which is the book of Meditations. Oh, wow. And, and ended up rising again. It was crazy. Well, you know, that's, one of the that's where Amor Fati comes from, which mm -hmm. is love your fate. Um, one of the first books that I read when I was at the institution, it was a good friend of mine um, sent it to me, and it was um, Just Mercy, and uh, by Brian Stevenson. Mm. And they made a movie. Jamie Foxx starred in it in the movie, um, and I, I read the book. The book is a hundred times better than the movie. The movie is great though, and the the it just resonated with me just by the author's name. Brian Stevenson was 
a guy that I work with, you know, Detective, Brian back yeah. in the day. Yeah. I mean, just just the first page. And it was really difficult reading that book. I mean, it was many nights that I'm, I'm in my bunk reading it and I had to take the covers and put it over my head because yeah. my eyes were getting water. It was such a great book. But in the book, he writes um, when his excerpts in the book is that uh, he says, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Mm. And I think about and I, and I asked that you think about it, like, what's the worst thing you've ever done? And I, I think about it. The worst thing that I've ever done was I wasn't, uh, you know, I on the job, you know, I wish I would have prevented a homicide or prevented the homicides we share or we had. I wish I would had the ability to stop that robbery. I wish I had the ability to, to go to a school and talk to that kid. You know, I wish I was there um, for my son or my daughter more. You know, those are the things in my mind, the worst things that I put myself in the picture and say, I wish I could have changed. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't judge somebody just on one incident. You know, you got to look at and they have to look at themselves that they're greater than that. You know, they've done great things in their lives, you know. Wow. That's awesome. It, it, it always boils down and goes back to how you treat people. Because mm. even when you said, you know, when you had that quick visit, a few people that you bumped into, they knew you was coming and they took care of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was my, my, my first, it was my second day there, May 14th, that... um uh, my eventual bunkmate um, comes up to me and says, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, man, this is my second day up in here. What the fuck did I do? <laughs> 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 Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I said, what did I do? You know what I mean? So he, we take a walk on that, on that, uh, that gravel mile. Gravel mile. That gravel mile. You know, um, it's a uh, fifth of a mile around. It's gravel. Mm-hmm. Five times around is a mile. So I call it the gravel mile. And he said to me, um, he says, listen, you know, um, everybody in here knows that you are the former commissioner. Everybody here knows you were in law enforcement. Um, don't worry about it. You know, you'll be okay. Um, showed me an email on the email system that, that, you know, pretty much summed it up. And I was humbled by it and I felt good by it. And, you know, the email, the gist of the email was that, hey, listen, he was a good guy back home. He treated people with respect. Um, y'all make sure that y'all look out for him when y'all are over there. And, and that's what they did. You know, um, when I say they, you know, there was 13 guys from at the time when I was there from Baltimore and uh, a lot of respect for each and every one of those guys and a lot of respect for guys from other cities because it was just, it was really, everybody was, you know, trying to just do their time, didn't want any problems, wanted to you know, just be peaceful and just do their time. And, you know, that whole stigma about prison is that if you're in law enforcement, you know, you're at the bottom of the totem pole, which, which, Hey, it's true. Sometimes you are. Hell Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But there was, there was folks there that, you know, didn't like the profession because look, the profession put them in, right. in, in there. So, it, you know, everybody was not my friend. But you had some real ones on. But I had some I had some real ones there and and it was all good. 
you know, was all good. Wow. See, know? it's all in how you treat people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody made that decision, like, yo, he's a good guy. Yeah. Like nobody did. Nobody touched you. Nobody touched you. That message came from. Yeah. Yeah. Big place. You yeah. know, in that yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. That's somebody, and, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. My bunkmate, he was. And what's ironic is that, you know, my bunkmate, um, he's from Baltimore. And the same time I was the commander of the Northeast District. Mm. He was um, doing his thing, and I'm not judging, but he was doing his thing in the Northeast. Wow. And would you ever imagine, would you ever imagine that our paths would cross? It's crazy. It's insane. You know, and out of all places. And the conversations we had and the people that we knew, you know, right. equally, you know, the people that we knew equally and, and just. And it's know, crazy how you build a that rapport. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't nothing yeah. like, uh, I'm not fuck with you because you're police. You're a real right. guy. Right. So when you right. have two grown men having a real yeah. conversation, that goes, man, through the roof. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's awesome. Those those conversations are probably the most, they have more value than, than money. Yeah, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? When it's yeah. two men, like you said. Definitely. And y'all come to that understanding. Absolutely. Shit yeah. is worth more than anything. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's what this podcast is about, man. We want everybody to come in, you know, speak to real officers. Hell, we got a phenomenal commissioner on. Are you kidding me? This man changed the landscape of policing in Baltimore City. And, oh, man, his vision was paramount. And, you know, we're, we're missing that. We're missing that camaraderie. We're missing that rapport. And it's, it's not the same, you know. And, and and I guess you know in individual you know sectors and units you know they still have that bond, but you know patrol you know it's well it's just, the way it's ran. if if there is one message you know right now that I can give the department is that patrol is the backbone. Absolutely, patrol is the backbone, and patrol officers should have all the resources that they need at their fingertips. And you take care of patrol, you take care of the entire police department. Mm. And when I say you take care of patrol, you make sure that those days that they need off, you know, they get off. You know, um, if they're fatigued and can't work uh, a double shift, you know, give them the opportunity to go home and, 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 and figure another way out. Mm. Because, you know, you don't want somebody that's worked, you know, 14 hours showing up at your doorstep, right. you know, to address an issue, you yeah. know, and the community doesn't know that they don't know it. They, yeah. you know, they don't know that there's officers out there that's fatigued doing the job. And I'm not saying this, um, I'm not bashing administration, but you know, I'm, I'm saying this is, this is real and there's solutions. There are solutions available. You know, there's solutions There's ways, um, that, you know, you can prevent this from happening. And they just got to, you know, reach deep back and have conversations and say, where can we put people uh, on the streets? It's basically all hands on deck. It's bottom line. To, to, to add to that, can I ask you, what is your opinion or strategy on recruitment and salary? See what I'm saying? Because I can't get off if we're short. Well. Y'all should get paid <laughs> ten times more than what you're making. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, ten times more because there, there's there's so many things that uh, community doesn't realize what y'all do. Right. Um, 
and, and it's a lot. It, it really is a lot. And I think I, I talked about just briefly, I just maybe scraped the surface about some of the things that y'all do that people don't normally talk about. But recruitment is a challenge. And I think I read in a recent article, you know, there's 250 short and the monitors from the consent decree say, no, it's more than that. It the, is. The bottom line is that you're short. Okay. Right. And there really needs to be some type of evaluation on the recruitment process and um, who you want in the police department. And there are folks in the community that are really frustrated and fed up with what they're seeing. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for them to say, I want to be a police officer. I know folks have some um, background challenges, um, but those challenges were made up. Those challenges were created, I should say, you know, they're guidelines that were created and there really needs to be an evaluation on those guidelines. For example, the marijuana use, I mean, it's decriminalized in certain places and I'm not advocating saying that officers should use marijuana because I think they should not. Okay. Um, but what I'm saying is that if you're under the age of 21, I think you were allowed 20 usages. So suppose there's some young man that is dying to be a police officer. Could be somebody like you, Dre, or somebody like you, Big H, mm -hmm. and say you were one over. You were one over that number under the age of 21. So you did 21 under the age of 21. You said you're disqualified. But what's the difference between one and five? Yeah. There needs to be, what I'm saying is that there needs to be, um, you know, a community input on who they want, you know, and what the standards should be. Again, I'm not advocating for someone with a horrific criminal background because that's not the folks that you need on the streets. Um, but there are certain little small things that probably need to be evaluated um, on folks that are uh, disqualified. Right. You know, how do you feel about uh, the retention? That's always been the issue. Yeah, retention is is <laughs> equally equally as challenging as yeah. recruitment, and there should be a really robust retention plan to keep guys like y'all on the job. Right. Bottom line, period. Right. You know, there's got to be better incentives for y'all. Absolutely, you know? I seen a dude that had 15 years on leave. I said, damn. He probably went to another agency. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's one I know that went federal. I said, bro, you got all this time on. He's like, fuck it. Yeah, there has to be incentives to keep um, some of the talent. And yeah. there's very, there's a lot of talented people in the police department. A lot of young women and young men, they're just all stars. And they stay here and they don't see, you know, a pathway. They don't see um, them getting to, uh, you know, um, that homicide unit where they want to work. You know, they don't see that. And there, it, it should be no different than you going to a college and saying, you know, this is what my major is. Right. So my major is law, for example. So this is your pathway. You know, the, you know, you know, you're going to be in patrol three years. You know, you're going to be a detective for, for two years. You know, you're going to, you know, you got to give them a pathway and let them see it and let them know it's real. Yeah. Visualize it so they yeah. can understand and they, it. And they stay. Right. And Instead they stay. of just, yeah, yeah, you'll get there one day. Exactly. Right. Because that gets old. It gets it old. Yeah. Gets yeah. Old. yeah. They, have, they have to have a pathway. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. One of my questions um, deals with uh, leadership. Um, 
for people that are moving up, um, what's some of the really good advice you give them? And then what's some of the things that you should look out for um, with growing up and becoming a leader? Well, um, you always got to remember being a leader, you got to, obviously you got to take charge, you know, you got to let them know that you're in a leadership role and, you know, um, uh, that's the first thing, but you really can't change, you know, who you are as a person. And I've seen leaders change each rank that they've gone through and they've gone away from, you know, that core person, you know, who they were. So you never compromise your personality, you know, uh, be firm, be fair, uh, give them, give a person an opportunity to, um, uh, you know, clean slate. If, if, uh, they've had some mishaps before. I do believe in discipline, you know, it should be progressive discipline, however, and it should be fair. And, you know, everyone should have an equal right, you know, and, um, you know, the roles that they want to do on the job or the promotions that they want, it should be fair across the board, black, white, you know, uh, whatever your um, ethnicity is, your religion, whatever your faith is, it doesn't make a difference. You know, you just treat people as a human being. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier that, you know, you're looking at that person, although they're your subordinate, you're still looking at that person as a younger brother or younger sister. And um, you have to get them prepared because, you know, you're not going to be in that position forever. So why not leave them, leave something, leave a legacy where, you know, you gave someone an opportunity, you know, particularly, particularly someone who, may not have had an opportunity before you give them an opportunity. If you believe in them. Mm. Mm. Powerful. Mm. Yeah. Me and Dre life is we're not going away. <laughs> it's yeah. BPD all day. Yeah. All yeah. day. Yeah. With the good or the bad, whatever. Yeah. We're going to grind it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know what? The community needs y'all. Yes, sir. Huh? They, they, you know, to me, when I got a job, when I got on the job, you know, the older officers were um, officers that we looked up to. Right. And you guys are the older officers. It's funny you said that. Yeah. All you the know. young guys, you know, that when I trained the academy, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just love. And I appreciate that because, you know, I love, you know, the department we work for. It's, it's changed my life. I love what we do. And I always pass that along to them about, you know, rapport, family. Take care, you know, take care of your brother, your sister. And, you know, always embedded in that in them. And mm. every time I see them, they just, I don't know, they just brighten up. They smile. Yo, what's up? And it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So, you know, small changes and overall, we'll get there one day. Absolutely. It should be. Absolutely. So yeah. what's next for yourself? What's, what's going on? Oh, I got a couple of projects I'm working on. Okay. A couple of good things. I'm working on a book. Really? You know, so I'm... I'm diligently working on that and i got great advice about maybe four or five months ago because i thought you know it should be done i'm, I'm behind or i gotta write some more i gotta change this i gotta change that and i got uh, some great advice about four months ago from a baltimore legend mm. you know an icon you know in baltimore i had a conversation with him covid was really rampant around that time so we did a zoom call and um he said to me he said Daryl, he says, the advice I'll give you, and he gave me a ton of advice. He said, the advice I'll give you right now is when you're writing your book, one word at a time. Mm. So although the majority of it is done, sometimes I get up in the morning and 
when I start writing, if I literally write one word, it's a win. It's a, it's a win for me. Like that touch. Yeah. If I write, obviously it's not one word, but um, right, if, right. I, if I write very briefly, um, then it's a win. It's what I want to get across. But if I write, you know, a ch- half a chapter or a chapter, you know, okay, so it's a, it's, it's a chapter, but I'm taking my time. So I'm doing that. I'm doing, uh, I got a public safety um, project that's coming out. Um, I'm not going to say completely what it is. <laughs> nice. And I'm not saying completely what it is, but I'll make sure I share it with you guys. You'll be one of the first to know about it. Um, but I'm still trying to give back um, the best way I can to to Baltimore because Baltimore has been so great to me. Absolutely. Amazing. Wow. We appreciate you coming on, boss. Means everything. Means everything. So, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 99. I'd like to thank Mr. Dow Susan coming out. He means everything to us. He means everything to Baltimore. Over 30 years of service. Over 30 years. He groomed us. And that's why we love him dearly. And we appreciate everything he's done. And and right now he's sitting here with a smile. Why? Like that's amazing. All that. Sitting here with a smile. I'm I'm, I'm sitting here with a smile. I'm so proud of you guys. I'm glad for the opportunity. Um, I love the men and women that wear the badge and the men and women that don't wear the badge as civilians because they don't get enough love and props that they have to. And I, I love the community. So thank you for having me. If I was still on the job and I had a radio on my lapel right now, and I know you said this is episode 99, you know what the first thing I would say right now? Oh, the last, would it be? the last thing I would say right now was, uh, 99, 10, 18. Woo! Woo! I get to go home on time. Oh, Baby, thank you. Be safe, wow. everybody. We love you. Episode 99. Wow. Just made history. Be safe. 10, 18. 10, 18. Ah. The views and opinions expressed on the Silverback Podcast are those of the hosts, producers, and or the persons appearing on the program, and do not necessarily reflect